0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Ramil. So, starting off with some news, uh, the announcement came earlier today that Bam Adebayo had won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, and uh, that's the end of the good news, because after that, Miami traveled to Memphis for the second game of their three-game road trip, and they just looked really bad against the Memphis Grizzlies, losing 118-111. to 111. This is a kind of late half, uh, not necessarily half-assed, but let's say... Uh, a, a not a full podcast as far as the kind of level of attention and detail that I'd normally pay. It's a little bit late in the night for me and it's, I've had a very, very long day. I had to record Locked on NBA earlier, which was a little bit more important as far as reaching out a larger audience because I know that uh, it's hard to get listeners to listen to this show after a loss. I'm not sure if you're just depressed about it or if there's a funk in the air. But either way, uh, I know most people just don't listen to the show as much after a loss, which is a little disappointing because I think you can learn a lot. This Tonight probably won't be that, game, that day for it, to be honest with you, but uh, I'll try to go through it as much as possible. So uh, Miami looked a half step slower than the Grizzlies for most of the first half. They were just unable to contain rookie John ja Morant, who looked like he was very engaged early on. He seemed like he was really, really trying to get to the hoop. Running the pick and roll game very, very well between him and Jonas Valanciunas now who has been propelled into random scrub heat killer status. He was fantastic with 21 points to lead the Memphis, uh, Memphis Grizzlies, uh, that pick and roll game between Morant and Valanciunas or Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. Seemed to work very well. Jaron Jackson Jr. Finished five of 11 from three point range for 15 points. Um, he, he was very, very, very good as well. They just—they kept getting Miami into uncomfortable situations where Miami just didn't seem like they were locked in defensively. Couldn't keep themselves in front of uh, Morant, and then he was using spacing so perfectly between Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson to kind of get to the hoop and do what he had to, or dish it off to another cutter or to the roll man. uh, Sorry, the screener uh, for a bucket, which is why Valanciunas finished with 21 points. Because he had all these easy looks at the rim, because Miami's defense was so keyed in on trying to limit what Durant was doing, or what Morant was doing, and, and not particularly effectively. Who finished with 20 points on 9 14 shooting, that you know they, the 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 roll man, sorry, the screener was was often uh, you know open at the rim, and so it was uh, an easy look for them at the at the rim, and uh, it, it showed early on that first half in particular was a. a Disgusting display of defense from Miami's perspective because they were just they could not compensate there. And then on top of that, whenever the ball would be kicked out to the perimeter and swung, swung, they would find an open shooter. And those shooters were just not knocking. I mean, they were they were not missing. Solomon Hill finished two of four. I didn't even recognize him out there. He looks fat and out of shape. He looked like a rec league player uh, more than anything else. And he was still knocking down that three point shot. Balance uh, Eunice hit his one three point attempt. As I said, Jackson hit 5 of 11 shots. I mean, they they looked very good. They did wind up finishing 36% from three-point range, but they were shooting almost close to 60% in the first half. A lot of that has to do with how Miami tightened their defense in the second half. Eventually, the Heat went to a lot of zone defense uh, and tried to throw off what it was the the Grizzlies were doing well. It did work. I I saw that um, it was a mixed bag. I think if you looked at it and broke down play-by-play, maybe the Grizzlies found some way of exploiting that zone where they were able to get to the rim because they had done so pretty effectively in the first half. When they saw it in the second half, they were thrown off at first, and there were spots there in between when it did make the Grizzlies a little uncomfortable. They, they incorporated Derrick Jones Jr. very well on defense between him and Jimmy Butler and, of course, Bam Adebayo. They were able to put pressure on the um, perimeter scores. Uh, the ball handlers and playmakers, and so they kind of forced some turnovers there, put a little pressure on them. But eventually, Morant and others found a way to work their way through that zone coverage, and, and it did work out pretty well in Memphis's favor. Uh, unfortunately, Miami just didn't seem to have that next level at any point. Now, I, I you know, one of the concerns I saw, well, maybe not a concern, but one of the points I saw on Twitter was that. Miami might just be taking it a step slow. They were kind of passive again in the first half, and they kind of thought, well, you know what? We can tighten our defense up in the second half and make it a game. And in fact, that is exactly what they did. They tightened their defense. Jimmy Butler, in particular, came out blazing at one point in the fourth quarter, just looked very, very determined, and got like, I think, seven straight points. Uh, an and one, two additional shot opportunities. Just very, very, very engaged. Cut a lead down, and, and actually, actually put Miami three points ahead there. And then from that step forward, that that you know, my, Memphis just seemed to say, you know what? Let's regroup. Let's go back to doing what we had done so well. And Miami's defense just seemed, I don't know, they, it, to not necessarily regress, but they just couldn't keep up with Memphis's scores. There, there was just numerous attackers. Uh, they led the rebounding battle pretty convincingly. Um, Memphis finished with 45 rebounds and just 35 for Miami. And uh, I think the statistic that was shown a lot during the Heat broadcast was that Miami had been undefeated when they led the uh, rebounding edge there. And uh, clearly that was not the case against the Memphis Grizzlies. So it, it was not a good night in, in many ways. I think Memphis obviously uh, is, a, well, they're not a good team. They're 10-17 and 17 in general, so they were 9-17 and 17 entering to the game against Miami. But they had won some of late. They had challenged teams. They looked like they were getting some more scoring. They're still a rebuilding team, but for whatever reason, their level of energy, the youth on this team, uh, seemed very engaged. And again, that shooting in the first half, I, I did get a question uh, you know, via Twitter about whether or not this was Miami's defensive lapses, or whether or not it was Memphis's incredible scoring. And I think, you know, unfortunately, it was a little bit of both. Uh, Memphis just seemed like they could not miss. And conversely, Miami just didn't seem like they were fully engaged in the defensive end. Not something we saw until the fourth quarter. So Memphis played a really good game. And and they wound up getting the win, 118 to 111. Um, You know, it looked like Miami might be able to continue pushing there uh, in the fourth quarter they didn't seem to have that last step there that that little burst of energy necessary um you know they had some there were some scoring issues from Jimmy Butler who finished 6 of 12 overall 12 of 14 from the line he was very good 25 points uh but he did miss some shots from the perimeter there uh, it seemed like he wasn't necessarily as fluid as he had been at other points Bam also looked like he was struggling a little bit. I, I hate to put this on him, especially on a night when uh, he he was recognized for his great level of play. Maybe it kind of got to him. Maybe it, it was a, a le- extra level of motivation from Valanciunas because he just seemed determined to show up what Adebayo had done. And he finished four of twelve from the floor, six of eight from three the free throw line. Uh, finished with just fourteen points, but his offense in particular just he looked out of sorts. He was turning the ball over. Um, you know, not, he did finish with 13 rebounds and five assists Had to go with three steals and three blocks. So, still an overall good night for Bam. But he just looked a little wonky uh, offensively in particular. And Tyler Hero seemed very, very determined. He did finish with 22 points, 7-20 overall from the field, 2-5 from three-point range, but still some shots that needed to fall there. It just didn't. Uh, there was no magic in tonight's game there. So not a sky-is-falling moment for Miami. Obviously, they've got bigger fish to fry when they look f- ahead to the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday. But uh, a, a tough loss nonetheless. You're listening to Locked on Heat. If you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Rap to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Locked On Heat on Twitter, and we'll share and retweet. So we did get some questions uh, about, you know, whether or not. Miami's loss was due to this factor or the other. We did get some questions uh, on Twitter, and and I do thank everybody who did submit questions there. So I'll, I'll get into those a little bit. Um, also seeing some, I wouldn't say concerning issues. I think, I mean, this was I think the first time I've I've seen Jimmy Butler actually be very negative about this team, uh, criticizing the overall intensity and level of defense there. I don't want to think that this is. Um, a sign of things to come for for jimmy or for the team but uh they did not play well i i'd say it's actually the worst loss of the season i I think uh the lakers loss as i said before in the previous podcast was uh, more encouraging You lost to a very very good team uh you lost to the minnesota timberwolves on the second night of a back-to-back and you showed incredible effort against them you lose to the Lakers or the Nuggets. Uh, you know, you, you lose to good teams, and those make sense. Uh, you lose to the 76ers even. Again, still makes sense. But you lose to the Grizzlies, who are still rebuilding, who are struggling as a team, and that kind of sticks in your craw a little bit. And I think this is what we're going to see. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of you are probably suggesting or thinking that maybe they were looking ahead to Philadelphia's uh, matchup on Wednesday. I would hope that that's the case, that between Jimmy Butler and the guys that have been on this roster for a while and Eric Spolstra that you would tell, you would know enough to say, you know what, one game at a time, you focus on what's directly in front of you and don't worry about that game on Wednesday. Did they look past the Grizzlies? I, I can't get that feeling. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I'd have to say no, just because... This team doesn't seem capable or wired that way because of Swolster, because of the veterans on this team. But uh, they did not look like they were fully engaged right away. I don't know if they were just – I'll say this. Maybe they weren't looking past the Grizzlies uh, completely, but they do not I don't think they took them as seriously as they needed to. And if that was more relying on them being able to come back late in the game, which they did – That's that's fine. Or maybe that just they thought that this team had a little bit more quit in them than they actually showed on Monday night. Uh, I don't know what the actual reason for it was, but they did not look fully engaged. They did not look as energetic. Uh, And again, their, their commitment to defense wasn't something that was evident until the second half. And that was late in the second half. And it was too late by then. So this question comes in from Nick, who asks, Would you say the loss against the Grizzlies is entirely because of missing Justice Winslow or Goran Dragic, or am I the crazed fan that thinks the whistle on side of the officials was ridiculously one-sided on top of the defense not being the best? Well, I mean, you you lay out so many different factors there, Nick, and, and I appreciate your question because, again, after a loss, I know it's kind of hard to stay engaged and to want to have these kinds of conversations, but... I'm never going to blame the officials 100%. As I mentioned uh, on Monday's podcast following the Lakers game on Friday, even there at the arena watching the game in person, officiating mistakes happen. I know that the hindsight of looking back at it in the last two-minute report and replay and replay and replay and review and review and review, you can start to see nuances there that might have not been evident during the course of the game. I know that there were some bad officiating calls there. I think... Uh, The officiating actually improved in the second half for in Miami's favor, and as a result, they were able to do a little bit more defensively. But I I don't I don't think it was the officiating that allowed the Memphis Grizzlies to shoot sixty something percent from three point range in in the first half. Um, You know, I I don't think they were the ones that let Jonas Valanciunas continue to get to the rim. Uh, You know, at, at one point. I'm looking at this right now at the half, it was 73 to 58. They gave up 73 first half points. That's not unofficiating. Uh, the three point percentage was 68.8 percent, almost 69 percent from three point range. 11 of 16. That's not officiating. That's that's some bad defense there. That's some uh, lack of energy on defense. And I know that that seems overly simplistic. But even during the halftime interview, Chris Quinn, the assistant coach, said, you know, they got to get back in the, into that some energy there. They've got to be a little bit more engaged. And that did seem to be the case in the second half. They, they got a little bit of a burst from Derek Jones Jr., who uses length to just re- make things uh, uncomfortable for Morant and others. He was able to break up some passes there, get into the ball handler a little bit and, you know, forced a turnover here and there. Uh, and and that effort was not always there in the first half, and I don't think that Derek played as much in the first half as he did in the second half, although I'd have to look back at those minutes and see how they were spread out. And and then your other point about Justice Winslow and Goran Dragic, you know, Ira Winterman uh, made mention that now with Derek Jones Jr. playing defense the way he did uh, and has been over the last few games, that maybe there isn't a role for Justice Winslow. I disagree. I think uh, Winslow still can provide a little bit of something. If nothing else, he's... He's a better playmaker than Derek Jones Jr. is and probably will ever be. And as a result, if you're going to have him out there, he's going to be able to get to the rim. He's going to be able to find guys. And, and that kind of style of play, um, I think, will create place for others. Uh, with Jimmy Butler, uh, he'll be off ball a little bit more, and so he'll be able to be a better cutter or a spot-up shooter. He won't have the ball in his hands, so he doesn't have to create as much with justice they're creating for others that will make wide-open looks. And then you can also have that kind of level of defense. So you can have the same that you're getting out of Derrick Jones Jr. in terms of defense out there by, by having Justice there. And you're also going to have increased playmaking and scoring at the rim because of the, the wide open shots that a guy like Justice can create for others. Now, Justice Winslow is still struggling with his shots, so that could be a problem. Uh, but either way, if you're going to have Goran Dragic out there, then that's great because at, at times that bench certainly looked like they could use a 15 to 19 point score, a guy who knows how to get past the the initial teeth of the defense and get to the rim. Uh, that was certainly something that Goran could have done pretty easily. And unfortunately, he was not out there. So, I, I you know, sorry, Nick. I just I'm never going to blame the refs 100 percent. I know that they make mistakes. I think that's pretty uh, common, and I think every fan base again is going to criticize officiating at some point, but um, tonight is not the case for that. So, Heat outsider Nico Devlin asks, uh, "Is there some way to blame this on Dion?" <sighs> you know, I've taken a lot of crap today for uh, for my comments on Dion Waiters, uh, whatever I said about him on Monday, and whatever I said about him via Twitter. Uh, today uh, has been pretty problematic for a lot of people. And it's pretty clear that no matter what I say or what facts are presented, uh, people have a pretty strong opinion about Dion Waiters, and it's not a good one. So uh, I don't know that I can stop, you know, I, I don't know that I'll stop necessarily not defending Dion because he's a grown man who doesn't need my defending. Uh, I am not an apologist, as uh, somebody likes to say uh via twitter but at the same time I, I do i think i tried to explain a much more nuanced perspective than a lot of our fans or other media and certainly than the team is showing and i think that's important to kind of take that into consideration i think look i, I won't say that i don't like dion because the truth is I, I do like dion i i think there's he's not the brightest player or person in the world but he's fun and I think he's a fun player. And uh, the first game I ever covered was when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I thought he had a, a magnetic personality in a locker room with guys like Russell Westbrook and uh, Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka and Kendrick Perkins and you know Stephen Adams and others. That, that was a, a team with personalities there, and Dion still felt comfortable in, in, in doing so. this was when he was in his fourth year, uh, and still very young. You know, that was that was almost four years ago now. And he was a young player, a young man, and he still had a lot of confidence and swagger to him. I thought it was kind of hilarious that he had this incredible level of confidence. Again, in that veteran locker room, he held his own personality-wise. And that maybe that's a downfall of his, but uh, it, it's always been interesting to cover Dion. And I think you'll see that from a lot of guys. I mean, Chris Manning of Locked on Cavs, uh, Fred Katz, who writes for The Athletic and covers The Wizards. He used to cover The Thunder for The Norman Observer, I think and uh well i mean he he's, he'll still wax poetic about deon waiters whenever he gets a chance and i think that's just he's a fun cover he's he's a fun person to talk to uh his unabashed confidence and things of that sort so i think yeah maybe my perspective might be a little skewed but that's not to say that he's completely at fault or that he's not at a fault whatsoever which is not what i've said he has made some mistakes uh, he should not have criticized eric spolstra publicly like that I know that he's pissed off and I know that he's frustrated, uh, but I, I don't think that that was the right thing to do. I, I also think that it probably would have been better for him to accept the bench role, but I can also understand why he didn't. He, he thought he was coming in with a blank slate, that this wasn't about him being fat last year, that this wasn't about him you know, costing Dwayne a chance at the playoffs, or that this wasn't about anything else, that this was about Dion getting back to the, being the player that he thought he could be, that the team needed him to be, and coming into camp in the best shape of his life, and still being told, "No, sorry, not good enough," and then seeing his minutes go to some kid from Santa, the Santa Cruz Warriors. Um, that's probably not as good as Dion, and not to mention some, you know, fourteenth pick in the NBA draft out of uh, Wisconsin. You know, again, I understand that that seems a little cocky, but I think a lot of veterans feel that way. A lot of veterans aren't happy about seeing uh, a rookie. Either one taken in the lottery or an undrafted rookie steal your minutes, you know, or take those minutes. And whether you whether you feel like you lost those minutes or whether uh, they were taken from him or anything like that, the reality is a player feels well. You know, I, this was my team. I was on this team beforehand. These are just rookies. They can wait. The same way I had to wait when I was in Cleveland. The same way I had to come off the bench when I was in Oklahoma City, et cetera. So, I can understand why he was a little upset. But that's, look, I've probably just gone too much about Dion yet again because I think it's an interesting topic. I think it's a, a fun debate. But the more I see it uh, on Twitter and everything else, and I know it's just Twitter, it's limited as far as discourse is concerned you all are going to have a strong negative opinion about him regardless. He, he's fucked over the team. He doesn't listen. He's stubborn, et cetera. And I, I just don't think any of that is true. I think he's just been in a position where he wanted to prove himself and he was denied that right. And, of course, I think like most people, he'd be pretty pissed off. Uh, you know, if you, were, if you saw yourself as being in line for a promotion or a, a job that seemed likely to be yours, let's say somebody left you know somebody that you looked up to and was like your mentor there and he retired so maybe somebody like Dwayne Wade. so in your job whatever that job might be somebody that you looked up to a mentor retired and all of a sudden you say okay this is my opportunity i can be as good as this person was and you work at whatever that skill is you take all the time necessary to get to this point and then you show up and your boss says, yeah, no, we're, we're going to keep this open and we're not necessarily going to give you the job, even though you're qualified for it. You've been here longer than anybody else. You've got the skill set necessary. You've put in the work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're still not going to give you the job. I can't think of a single person that's listening to this podcast and listening to this example that wouldn't be pissed off as hell. I'm sorry. I just don't see it. So if you want to have a negative opinion about Dion because he was off you know, doing whatever the hell he was on his birthday, no less, uh, because he wasn't going to get an opportunity to play anyway, and he just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to go and have some fun uh, on my birthday because, you know, I'm, I'm young and rich and, and able to do so. Uh, you know, whatever. Again, I, I still think a lot of people would do the same thing. Uh, you just have to think of it from that perspective. What would you do? If you were in those situations, and and to Chico Rito Marito, who has been a steady listener, yeah, Hassan Hassan was a slacker. He had all the talent in the world. He had all the physical tools in the world, and he couldn't set a goddamn screen. So I questioned his effort a million times more than I questioned Dion Waiters' effort. I don't think Dion's problem has ever been one about effort. Is it one about being a bonehead? Is it one about being a, uh, a you know, overconfident and making stupid decisions? Yes. Yes, and I've said that a thousand times. I I don't necessarily let leave Dion off the hook completely, but in comparison to Dion and and Hassan Whiteside, no, there is none, because Hassan just took place off and most of his his activity on the court was always very self serving to me. Like he he had just set a damn screen for Goran Dragic or Dion or Dwayne Wade or Dion Waiters or anybody else that was a a, a ball handler. Playing alongside Dion, I'm sorry, alongside Hassan. Maybe that would have been different. But Hassan wanted to roll to the rim and get his dunks and flex on him and do all those things that he did. And, and quite frankly, I'm glad he's gone. And I'm, I'm you know, I'll, I'll be glad that Dion's gone if he eventually gets traded or waived or whatever it is, because I think he'll have an opportunity to go elsewhere and contribute. Uh, we saw Hassan contribute and can contribute there. But you, if you follow any Blazers Twitter. Uh, Blazers fans on Twitter uh, or Blazers media on Twitter you'll see a lot of people complain about his effort there too so I don't think this is uh, just related to Miami or whatever issues I might have with Hassan Whiteside. I I was a fan of of Hassan's efforts. I was a believer in Hassan's ability to contribute uh, and I was routinely disappointed towards the end of his tenure in Miami so let's move on and uh, I'll get into the stat and player of the game next. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and review, especially if it's a good one. So I don't really have much prepared here as far as a stat of the game. Um, again, it was this was kind of an off-the-cuff one. Maybe I shouldn't be peeling the curtain back and, and showing that that uh, I was not as prepared as could be. But uh, you know, I think it's fair to, to just point out that this is Miami's second loss of the season to a sub-500 team. Uh, the last time that they lost to a team that's currently sub-500 was the Um, Minnesota Timberwolves, who were not sub-500 at the time. So I think Eric Reed pointed out that this was the first loss to a sub-500 team. In effect, it's the first loss to a team that's sub-500 at the time they're playing. But Minnesota is now sub-500 as well. So it's their overall record drops to 14-2 against teams that are below 500. Um, You know, not a glaring concern, I think even the best of teams, even the Torontos from last year or the Lakers of this year will eventually end, you know, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, winners of 18 straight games lost to the same Dallas Mavericks group that Miami beat on Saturday. I think that's a good sign. I think that's that's something you can console yourselves with as a Heat fan is that um, you're going to have bad losses over the course of the season. I, I think losing to the Mavericks uh, uh you know as the bucks did versus losing to the grizzlies as the heat did i'd say the milwaukee loss is one that is a little bit more understandable either way you had a bad loss to the grizzlies you move on and whether they were overlooking the memphis grizzlies or not to to you know project ahead to wednesday's matchup against the philadelphia 76ers we'll never know But this is a good opportunity. If Jimmy is, in fact, pissed off at this team, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he can light a fire under some of the players that are on this roster, and maybe they'll come out a little bit more engaged than they were because (laughs) that last loss to the Philadelphia 76ers was brutal. And so you need to absolutely show a little bit more effort there. As far as the player of the game is concerned, well, I'd I'd have to give it to Jimmy Butler because of his overall effort and scoring. Um, But... (laughs) kind of actually think that it belongs to Jonas Valanciunas, and I thought I'd never say that. I hate giving it to an opponent. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of reason to do so. Against the Lakers, I probably would have given it to Anthony Davis in all fairness because I think he was absolutely dominant there. Uh, but Valanciunas was, was a damn difference maker. And again, something I never thought I'd see. I, I've, I remember when the Raptors were facing the Heat in the playoffs a few years ago, and I was writing for a site, and I looked at that matchup specifically between Hassan Whiteside and... Uh, and Jonas Valanciunas, and I thought Whiteside was going to wipe the floor with him, and Valanciunas, uh did not <laughs> bow down so easily to Whiteside. He crushed Hassan Whiteside during that series, held his own on some points, but he, he, just, he was very, very, very good in comparison to Whiteside, and Valanciunas continues to be impressive. And again, his night is not indicative of how he's been playing all season long. This was an aberration for him, and he still wound up having a fantastic game, so I hate to say it, but uh, Valanciunas was the player of the game because he was the difference maker for the Grizzlies. Uh, Truly sensational game, 21 points, 8 of 9 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3-point range. You know, his biggest issue was 4 of 8 from the free-throw line and still, uh, you know, not bad, all things considered. 10 rebounds, good game for him, and he was the difference maker. As far as the scapegoat of the game is concerned... There really wasn't one. Uh, Kelly Olenek has struggled a little bit and continues to do so. He had zero points in 18 minutes, only 0 of 3 from the field, so he was not aggressive on looking for a shot. Um, I, I don't know. Like, there was one moment there where I want to say Kendrick Nunn had the ball in his hands, and he was in the half-court set and just kind of over-dribbling a little bit um, and kind of looking off Olenick who was open from the wing there eventually none passed it off to Jimmy who dribbled a little bit, tried to get into the teeth of defense uh, in the painted area and then wound up kicking it out to a wide open Olenek and then Olenek caught the ball, a defender I want to say Brandon Clark rushed out on him, he closed out, left past Olenek who had to dribble and kind of out of rhythm shot the three pointer and it rimmed out so uh, Olenek did not make the most of whatever infrequent opportunities he had and so not a good game for him I hate to say that he was the scapegoat of the game, but he did not play particularly well in his 18 minutes there. He didn't do much of anything other than pull down three rebounds and have an assist and a block. That was actually a nice block. I, can't, I think it was on Morant too, but either way, uh, a solid uh, defensive performance maybe, but not much of a great one on offense. But that's all we have for today. Again, on Wednesday, I'll have a recap following that Philadelphia 76ers matchup. That should be a good one, and hopefully Miami will be able to figure out There are issues, but that's it for today. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag #AskAlloheat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Rommel, thanking you, as always, for your support.